This last weekend, actually on Monday morning, I had to be in Houston to conduct a funeral. And I haven't been in Houston in a long time, or at least I haven't lived there in a long time. And I can remember the traffic was insane when I was there in the late 70s. But if you've been to Houston lately, you know that it, it's taken insane to a whole new level. And my, actually, the funeral that I had to conduct was up around Huntsville. And then I had to drive all the way through Houston from the north side all the way to Hobby Airport on the south side. And so in case you're not up on your praying, if you want to like catch up on your prayer life, that's all you need to do. Because I did pray a lot uh, on the way down there and I saw some really bad accidents on 45. And finally, I made it all the way through to the south side of uh, Houston. I got off actually a couple of exits early and I was on the feeder road getting ready to head toward Hobby Airport. So I'm driving down the feeder road and all of a sudden I see a Ford quad cab in front of me. And that's kind of unusual because uh, a feeder road's a one-way street and I didn't, ex- I didn't think there was anybody in front of me. But what happened was, was something, and if you've ever watched an accident happen, you know that it, it takes place so fast it almost takes you a little while to process, to get your, your mind to process what you just saw. And, and once that happened, I realized what I just watched you know, people drive real fast on highways in big cities, and, and you, know, you don't drive the speed limit. You just drive what everybody else is driving. I don't know if that's a surprise to us in Wichita. That might be new to us. But there, you know, you just drive with traffic, and people were really driving with traffic on 45. So I have no idea how fast this traffic was moving. I'm going to guess around 80 miles an hour. But what had happened was there was a, a lady in a little car, a little white car, who was trying to change lanes to the outside, and she didn't see this Ford pickup truck. And so what she actually did, she forced this pickup truck off the road. And so this, this truck that, that came off the, the highway in front of me was probably going about 80 miles an hour. And you know a feeder road's not, not, not able to handle that kind of speed. And, and, and you know, you just, you, when you see them, something like that happen, you just have a split second to pray for that person. You know? And because I watched her as she tried to get control of her truck. And for a minute, it looked like she might, but you know what it's like at that speed. And she couldn't get control of it. And, and unfortunately, she hit something really uh, big on the right-hand side, and it caused the truck to start spinning. And it spun like a tra- top right in the middle of that feeder road. And it seemed like it spun a hundred times. I'm sure it wasn't, but it just, I just watched it spin. And, and it would, she would kind of like go to the left side and the right side, and she was hitting the curbs on both sides. And finally, her truck came to a rest in the middle of the feeder road with all four wheels knocked off. And thankfully, nobody was seriously injured. But I thought to myself, that's so much like how life is for us. And certainly like Job, the guy we've been talking about for the last two weeks, because you're just going down the highway of life and, and everything is fine and you're enjoying life and enjoying, you know, the drive. And then all of a sudden something forces you off the road and you try to regain your equilibrium. You try to get your control, but you can't. And the next thing you know, you're spinning out of control. And there at the end, you're, you're in a place you never thought you would be with all the wheels falling off. And so our, our series is all about how to deal with that and beyond how to deal with the crises of life, how to deal with it when you ask God for help and God doesn't seem to help you, when there's silence that comes from heaven. Because one of the first things that we're taught to believe is that God loves us and God wants to help us, and if we pray, God will answer our prayers. But when you pray and you don't get an answer from God, how do you deal with that kind of silence? Well, fortunately for us, we have God's record left for us. We call it the Bible, the Word of God. But in the Bible, you find stories of people. And one of the things I'm I'm thankful about about the Bible is God doesn't sugarcoat things. I mean, God lays it out there for us. In this book, you have the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a chapter, or or rather there's a book in the Bible, where there's a whole lot of ugly. In fact, if I can escape reading this book, I'll escape it. I'll, I'll read other books in the Bible to try to avoid it. But it's a book that God placed there to help us deal with the silence in life. And the book is called Job. It's a story of a man, a man named Job. 
At the beginning of this, of this book, we, we're acquainted with this Arabian prince, this guy who is a very good man and a very rich man. And according to God here, he is the best man and the richest man in the world, all combined in one. And just to make sure I don't spend too much time going over material that I've covered with you already, I'll, I'll try to glide through this real fast. But you know the story how that Lucifer was the angel that God created, Lucifer wanted to take over heaven. Uh, he got maybe a third of the angels to join with him in the insurrection. God thumped him out. And, uh, you know, he's, he's on the earth now, and he's trying to build his own kingdom. But it does seem that, for some reason, Lucifer still had access to God. So when all the angels would come in to report to God, Lucifer would come with them. And the other angels came by to report that they were doing what God asked them to do. But Lucifer would show up to accuse people on the earth. And really what he was trying to do, he was trying to kick it in God's face that the, the people like you and me that, he, that God created, what Lucifer wanted to say is, they're with me, they're not with you. And, he, and unfortunately, I hate to think about this, but I've given him some, some ammunition for that. Because I've done things in my life that, are, that we call sins that are wrong. In fact, I don't know that I could live one day of my life without messing something up or failing to, you know, not failing to do something that I should do. So Lucifer shows up and he, he's you know, beginning to... to to put the finger on people on the earth that are not living right and say to God, hey, they're they're really on my side. And so God stops him and he says, have you checked out my man Job here? Because my man Job, he loves me, he serves me. And Lucifer says, well, he just serves you because you give him all kinds of toys and you bless him. You let me take his stuff away and he will curse you to your face. God said, I don't believe that. So I'll tell you what, you can touch him, but you can't touch his body. You You can take things away from him. You can, you can take from him. You can steal from him. And by the way, you know, for those of you who don't believe in a, in a, in a real Satan or real Lucifer, it's probably because you've been acquainted with the concept from our culture that he's this sort of caricature, that he's, he's this Halloween kind of creature. Hey, lose that. He is an angel. He's a sophisticated angel. He's brilliant. God, he is probably the most brilliant of God's creations. And the Bible says he passes himself off as an angel of light. So, you know, please don't believe the stuff from the movies and all that kind of thing. He is a sophisticated, brilliant, powerful being. And so, you know, he touches Job and he takes all of his stuff away. And one day, in one day, Job loses every asset he has. And the worst part about it, he has 10 adult kids here all partying together in one of the kids' houses. And a tornado comes through and kills every one of Job's kids. He's at the end of one day. I mean, just like the lady I saw on I-45 this week. He's just tooling along, enjoying life. Life is good. He's being good. He's helping people. Life is great. He's got his kids with him. And all of a sudden, he gets forced off the road. He's spinning around, out of control. All the wheels are off, and he doesn't know why it happened. But as we saw in the first installment of the series, Job said, well, I didn't bring anything into this world, and I'm not going to have a U-Haul behind my hearse. So I'm just going to find a way to give God praise and glory. And so, you know, no doubt God smiled. Lucifer shows up. God said, you check out my boy Job. And Lucifer said, well, skin for skin. You, you, you wouldn't let me touch his body. You know, you can take stuff away from people, and they'll still serve you, but you let me, you let me hit him hard in his body, and he'll cuss you. And God said, all right, 
You can touch his body, but you can't take his life. And from that moment on, Job went into the darkest part of this calamity because he had the skin disease where his skin thickened and he had pain from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and he had lesions on his skin. It was so bad that he began to smell horrible and his breath was... Nobody could even take care of him because he smelled so bad. And he he went out to live in an ash heap and the only relief he could get, since nobody would take care of him, the only relief he could get was to break a plate and take the broken part of that pottery and scrape his skin. And it was horrid. In all of this, Job couldn't get an answer from God. He, He wanted to know why it happened, what he did wrong. Why did I get forced off the road? Why am I here? And when, is thing, when are things going to change? And he prayed, and he prayed just like you and I would pray, and he couldn't get any answer from God. And last week's message, we talked about how that he got unwanted noise. His wife came and said, hey, Job, why don't you just go ahead and get this thing over with? Why don't you just curse God and die? And then he had three friends who came to see him, and all they could do is say, you must have done something wrong, Job. Fess up, boy. And if you do that, everything will be okay again. He didn't have any answer. And all he had was pain. Now, I just gave you the beginning of the book of Job. If you, if you were to find the book of Job, you would find that it has 42 chapters. Job's life falls apart in the first two chapters. Job, as I, I mean, I'll give it away and I'll read this in a few moments, but at the end, God restores everything that was taken away double. But that happens in one, really one paragraph of the last chapter. What is it that fills up the rest of that book? Well, about 35 of the chapters are are Job's speeches in which he's trying to maintain that he is innocent, that he didn't do anything to deserve this, or the speeches of his three friends who are accusing him. Most of the book is taken up with that. But there's one part of this book, just just keeping it real here, there's one part of this book that has always eaten me up and I've never understood it. There's, There's a sizable portion, about three chapters, where God shows up and God begins to talk And in this talk, he is correcting Job. I I grew up in church, and I never could understand, what was God correcting Job for? If you've read the book, maybe you've had that question too. What's God correcting this guy for? I mean, if he didn't do anything wrong to bring all this on himself, why is God just really correcting Job? What did he do? And I'd read the book, and I couldn't find it. I remember when I was in, in school, I took a, a course called Poetical Books, which, is, which the book of Job is in, and I remember listening to the professor go over this week in and week out, and I still couldn't understand, what is Job getting corrected for? So for those of you who are used to New Spring, you know that I can't talk to you unless I'm being academically honest, because whenever I stand up to talk, I'm not saying that I know all the answers, but I'm giving you the best that I have at that moment. And I thought, I can't, I can't stand before this church to talk about how that God brings us out of our troubles and, and, and talk about the book of Job unless I can figure out really, I mean, I could, could kind of get around it a little bit, but unless I can figure out really what it is that God is correcting Job for, I didn't want to bring this message. So for the last few weeks, I've been reading the book of Job. I've, I've read it several times just nonstop through all 42 chapters in one setting because I wanted to get the feel of exactly what it was that God was correcting Job for. And finally, several weeks ago, it hit me. I understood. Why is this big? Simply this. When you and I go through a crisis, and it's not of our making, it's of somebody else's making, or it's just one of those cosmic things like happened to Job, What you and I have to understand is the challenge is not to do something wrong in the midst of our pain. 
See, I've done that so many times. I mean, just again, keeping it real. I, I want to tell you, so many times I've gotten into a situation that wasn't of my making. It was bad, but I didn't react right. I, I got angry at God. Or I, and, and so it's important for us to understand what Job did wrong in the midst of his pain so that we won't make that mistake. Well, somebody could say, well, I know what it was. Job questioned God. Job asked God why. No. God never gets after Job for asking why. Or maybe somebody might say, well, <clears throat> it, was because, um, it was because Job maintained his innocence. And, and really, I don't think that's why God got after him. Or somebody could say, well, it was because Job poured out his feelings and he kind of went over the edge pouring out his feelings to God. Do you realize that one of the things that God cited Job for positively was his honesty? So do you see what I'm saying? I mean, those are sometimes the, the culprits when we think maybe this is why God jo- judged Job was because Job was honest about his feelings. But none of that was the reason. There's one reason why Job got into trouble. And I don't know about you, but I want to avoid it because when I'm going through pain, I want God to work in my life ASAP. I don't want to delay the process. Let me walk you through some scriptures here. And this is going to take a few moments, but I want you to see Job as this transition to wrong builds in his life. Now, again, remember, Job feels like he's innocent. He feels like what he's going through, he didn't deserve, which is true. And his friends continue to say, Job, you must have done something wrong. And so I want you to listen to what Job says in Job 9, verse 32. He says, God is not immortal like me, so I can't argue with him or take him to trial. That is the first time Job kind of mentions what he'd like to do. But notice he says he can't. Have you, have you ever sinned? And like at first you'd say, oh, I can't do that because I'm a God follower. I can't do that. But if I were to do it, uh, but I can't. But then the next thing you know, you're saying, well, maybe I could do it because it's okay. And then finally, the next thing you know, you find yourself in full-blown sin. This is what's happening with Job. Let's watch it develop. He said, I can't take him to court. But he said, if only there were a mediator. He's wanting to take God into binding arbitration. Someone who could bring us together. The mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. He's saying, I'd like to take God to trial, but I can't. But I wish I could. I wish there was some sort of mediator because I could present my case to God and maybe God would stop beating me. Job 10, verse 2. I will say, God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. Well, that's constitutional here in the United States. You can't arrest someone without giving them a charge. And I'm sure the law was that way in Job's day. And Job was saying, God, if you're going to bring me into court here, at least tell me what I'm charged with. Job 10, verse 7. Job talking to God. Although you know I'm not guilty, no one can restore me or rescue me from your hands. Job 13, verse 3. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. Do you see that develop? At first he said, I can't do it. Now he's saying, actually come to think of it, I do want to argue my case with God in court. Job 13, 15, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I am going to argue my case with him. Job 23, verse 3, if only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Now in Job 31, if only someone would listen to me. Look, I'll sign my name to my defense. Now Job is going on record. I'll sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. I would wear it like a crown. For I would tell him, this is, I would tell God, I would tell him exactly what I've done. I would come before him like a prince. You feel that? 
It took me several readings to see that. Job was saying, I can't take God to court. He's God, I'm human. But you know what? I'd like to take him to court if I could. And then, you know what? I am going to sign my defense. I'm going to make my defense. And finally, he is saying, let God show up and take me on in court. I'll answer all his questions. I hate to admit this. I've been right there. Boy, nothing makes me feel more aggrieved than to feel like I've tried to please God, and in trying to please God, I'm under attack, and I would really very much like for God to show up and explain to me. Here's what makes this so hard, and Job talked about this a long time, and we don't have time to go into it today, but if you read the book, you'll see this happen. What Job is saying, God, listen, this is wrong, 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 wrong. I've tried to do right, and I'm suffering, and I see people out there smoking dope and and sleeping around, and they've got everything they need. Their kids are fine. My kids are in the graveyard. Their kids are doing fine, and they're flipping you off all the time. And Job was saying, "I, I I want an answer for that. I want to go to court. And I'll sit there on the bench, and you would fire questions at me, and Job is saying, I'll make my defense. Finally, after all this time, God says to Job, see you in court. Now, I don't have nearly enough time, and and I'm hoping that you'll read this. In the last five or six chapters of Job, I'm hoping that you'll read this for yourself so that you can get the full impact of what God did. Job now is up on the bench, or he's up there in, the, in, in, in a testimony box, and he's expecting God to ask him questions. I was talking to a good friend for the service, and I said, you know, Job kind of saw his situation this, in, a, in a small parenthesis. So he thought that when he went to court, God would like deal with the small parenthesis. But what Job wasn't prepared for was that God's parenthesis was very big. And, and what has happened here, Job has officially accused God of mismanagement of the universe. He is saying, God, you're screwing this up. You're, listen, I, I have a higher sense of justice. I have a better sense of good than you have. Show up. And God said, see you in court. And so God begins to lead off with some questions. Here's the first one. God said, exactly where were you when I created the earth? <laughs> and while Job was chewing on that one, God said, by the way, who was it who decided the size? Who was who sat down with the slide rule and said, hey, I think the earth should be this big. I think it should tilt like this. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? Was it you, Joe? Were you the one who decided, hey, here's, here's, the, here's the plan for the earth? And God kept on going. When the morning stars sang in chorus, did you know the stars sing? God said, when the morning stars sang in chorus, and I was directing them, who was it who took charge of the oceans and made the ocean stay where it was supposed to be and not rise over its banks? God said, did you ever order a morning or tell the dawn to get up and do its work? Have you ever checked out the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where it is? Can you affect the constellations? Can you get the attention of the clouds and make it rain for you? Can you control the lightning bolts and and make them report for your orders? Are you the one who taught the the horse to stalk, uh, 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 horse to to prance and go go into battle? Are you the one who, who taught the hawk to soar effortlessly on the heights? Did you teach the eagle to build her nest in the cliffs? Did you give the eyesight to the eagle to spot her prey from a long distance? I mean, God just went on and on and on and on and on. Because, see, Job has accused God of mismanaging nature. And God says, okay, you think you could do better? At this point, Job is wanting to settle. He doesn't want to go any further. 
And he's saying, okay, God, that was really pretty stupid, wasn't it? The idea of taking you to court, I'm really sorry about that. Could, could we just end this right now? And God says, no, it's not over. Because after asking Job all these open-ended questions, which clearly the only answer could be the only person who could make the earth, the only person who could keep this earth going, the only person who could do all these things with all the intricacy of creation is God. But now God, the Bible says, turns to Job. And I'm going to read this out of the message. This is Job chapter 40, verse 2. God says to Job, what do you have to say for yourself? Listen to this question. Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? And now God goes on to get real specific with Job. Here's number one. God said to Job, do you presume to tell me what I'm doing? In effect, if you didn't make the world, if you didn't build this place, if you're not the one who keeps everything running, do you presume, and now we're talking God to Mark here, do, do you presume to tell me what I'm doing? And here's another question God asked Job. Because, and, and, and time out for a moment, please. I want to break a sentence here. <laughs> When we tell God he's doing wrong, what we're trying to say is my standard of justice is higher than your standard. Have you ever prayed and said, God, I wouldn't do that to my children? God, I wouldn't let that happen. If I were God, I wouldn't let that happen. What we're saying is, God, my standard of justice is up here, and evidently yours is down here. So the second question that that God asked Job is, are you trying to make me a sinner so you can be a saint? And then finally God says to Job, show me your stuff. Job, you target the arrogant and flatten them. You stop the wicked in their tracks and make mincemeat of them. And then I don't know that God ever said this to another human being. God said to Job, I'll gladly hand things over to you if you can do it. God is saying, if you want to be God and you can handle it, then I'll turn things over to you. At this moment, Job has his face in his hands and one of his hands is over his mouth. And he's saying, God, I'm so sorry I started this. I'm really, I'm really, really sorry for this. In fact, we could read about this in Job 42. In the last chapter of the book, then Job replied to the Lord, verse 1, I know you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, I'll speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I don't know if Job had any idea of what was ahead, but what was ahead was awesome. Because the Bible says in verse 10, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored. The Lord restored. Is there any sweeter word, any sweeter phrase than that phrase, the Lord restored? Have you ever been in a dark night and you thought things would never change and suddenly there was that little crack of dawn where God showed up and you said to yourself, maybe I'm going to survive this thing after all. Maybe I'm going to make it. Maybe, there, maybe, maybe there's help out there. Maybe there's hope out there. And then that crack of dawn gets lighter and lighter, and finally God shows up, and you can tell people when it's all said and done, the Lord restored. The Lord restored. So the Lord blessed Job, verse 12, in the second half of his life, even more than the beginning. In verse 11, it says the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Job lived 140 years after that, saw four generations of his kids and grandkids, and lived a wonderful life. What did we learn today? What did we pick up this morning? 
We picked up on this. God will not let us take him to court. God, God's fine with us if we're honest with him. If we're pouring out honest emotions, God's not, God's not troubled with that at all. If we're telling God how much we're hurting, God's, God, God has no problem with that. There's just one thing God can't handle, and that is if we try to drag him into court and say, God, I'm right and you're wrong. That's one thing God won't take for three reasons, and I'll be through. Number one, he's not the defendant. He's not the defendant. It was never God's idea for bad to be in our world. Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned. They ushered it into it. And beyond that, we've added, we've added our sin to that. And because we have, we have a broken world. Was it God's wish that Job go through all this difficulty? No. God was not behind it. Lucifer was behind it. Our first parents surrendered kingdom authority over to him. Thank God Jesus came, died on the cross, rose in the grave, and got it back. But we live in a broken world. And folks, I just want to tell you today, I honestly believe with all my heart that the Bible is true when it says that every good thing comes from the Father above. Our Father loves us. God is not the defendant. And I make a mistake when I turn around and blame God for the problems of a broken world. The second reason why God won't be hauled into court is he's God. He is God alone. We just sang it a few moments ago. He's God. You know, here's the thing. You wouldn't even go to court, and and you wouldn't say to the judge, hey, judge, get down here, and let's go face-to-face on this, because you would have to go in and maintain a particular decorum because he's the judge. You would not say to a president, hey, come over to my house and answer this thing for me. I don't understand why the government's working this way. Come over to my house, and, and I'll set you straight. The president wouldn't do that. But God is not a judge. He's not a president. He's not even a king. He's God. All authority flows from him. And I can tell you this, as much as God loves you, as much as he adores you, and he does, he loves you so much he wouldn't spare his only son to keep you out of hell. But I can tell you this, as much as he loves you, he's still God, and he's still going to reign on that throne. Finally, here's the big one. Oh, I had to find this out. I read, I prayed, and finally God showed me this, and it helped me for the first time understand the book of Job. God would not let Job call him into court because Job needed a God to get him out of trouble. If Job could have wrestled God down to his size, God could not have restored everything that had been taken away. Job needed a God big enough to get him out of trouble. And God will not let you wrestle him down to your size because you need him to be God. Somebody can say, well, Mark, I'm mad at God. I'm turning my back on God. He's your only help. Why Why would you turn your back on your only source? Guys, if you think you're listening to a, a perfect man today, you're not. Because I have made this mistake time and time again. I don't know why I'm susceptible to this one. Maybe it's because I've lived my life trying to follow God and trying to lead a church, and, and I always try to be obedient to God, but I, I have found myself susceptible to this one. Because something can go wrong in my life. And listen, if I know something goes wrong in my life because I've been stupid, I can kind of deal with that. But when I think I'm trying to please the Lord, you know, when I think I'm trying to do right, and then the wheels fall off, that's when I'm susceptible. About, about two years ago, I was asking God for something. I believed with all my heart I was praying in his will. And I prayed in confidence and faith that God would answer this prayer because I believed it was the right thing to do and I believed it was his will. Because I, I felt like, you know, God, this, surely this is something you want to do for me. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for it. 
I prayed for it in the morning. I prayed for it before I went to bed at night. If I woke up in the morning, I would pray and I would ask God for this. But clearly time went by, months went by, and God didn't do anything to resolve it. I remember about a year ago, I was on my deck, and I was up in the middle of the night, and I wish I could tell you that I was just, had great faith. I was angry. I'm glad you couldn't have seen me at that moment. I was so angry at God. Because I said, God, here I am. I'm doing, I'm desperately trying to do what you want me to do. And I know I'm trying to do what you want me to do. And I need this, and you won't answer my prayer. And I guess this comes back to me because it was in the middle of the night, about 1 o'clock in the morning. I just really lost it on God. I'm ashamed to admit I did. I just said, God, and I think I said that. I think I said, God, I, I wouldn't treat my children this way. And I remember that because that was such a, a cold, hollow feeling that I had in my spirit when I went to bed that night because I had basically done what Job did. I had drawn a line between me and God, and I said, God, you're on that side, and I'm on this side, and I wish I could get you to court, because if I could get you to court, I'd ask you, why are you treating me this way when I'm trying to do what you want me to do? And I don't know, time passed, and I got my heart right in the next day or so, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I know that's wrong, and kind of went on and forgot about it. In fact, I hadn't thought about it in months. I was driving down the road the other day, and it suddenly hit me, that God had given me everything I had prayed for, he just used a different way. It was such a different avenue that I didn't even recognize it. And I remember saying to myself, God, you are so awesome. I mean, I turned the front seat of my Honda into a church service that day. I mean, I was just praising God. I wasn't speaking in tongues or anything, but I'm just telling you, I was just having the time of my life praising God and saying, God, you're so awesome. You answered my prayer, and here's the big thing. It hit me that if God had answered my prayer back then, it would have been the absolute wrong timing. God showed me how all the sequence went together. And I think up in heaven, the Lord was kind of smiling about that, thinking. He's probably said to the angels, I don't know if Mark will ever figure it out, but I'm at work in his life. And it's the same for you. You know, the challenge is when you're going through the storm, to look through the clouds and the lightning bolts and the cold hail clouds and to look through all that and see the God who loves you, who's at work in your life, and somehow find a way through his grace and through your confidence in him to praise him in the storm. I can't say it like this song. Listen, please.
heads for a moment, please. And, and don't usually do this, but in a time of, time of anonymity, I'd kind of like to do something today before I pray. If you're going through a storm today, and, and that's a metaphor, I just mean you're going through tough times and you really do need God to help you today, I want to have a prayer for you. And I'd like for every believer in this room 
to join me in prayer. If you're going through a hard time today, would you just like lift your hand up and say, Mark, I'm going through a tough time. Would you pray, please, for me? Okay. Would you join me in prayer, please? God, you see. There's so much that we can't understand and can't figure out. But it encourages us to know that you're God and that you're at work. We don't want to bring you to court today because we couldn't handle you. We just want you to be God. We want you to be our God, to be our Lord, to be our hope. And we do praise you, even though we can't understand. And sometimes we praise you through tear-stained eyes, God. We praise you because you are God and you are source and you are help. And, Father, for those of us who have trusted and followed you for a long time, we can testify to those who are just beginning today that you always are faithful. Father, I testify publicly here today that you have always been faithful to me. And I testify to those who are going, a hard time, going through a hard time, Lord, that you are faithful. So, Lord, please help us remember that we're but dust, that the only thing that makes us of any eternal value is that your spirit is resting inside of us. And now, Lord God, I pray that you would just work in the lives of each of us. Help us, Lord, with solving our issues. And if it's not the time for you to solve our issues, then I pray, Lord, you'll give us a strong assurance of your presence so that we'll know that we're not going through this by ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for coming out for silence. You know, I think I blogged about this. Um, (laughs) When... uh, you may notice that silence is only three weeks long. And when I was planning this series months ago, I thought, I don't know if I want to spend very long on this topic. And so it was only a three-week series instead of a five-week series. And then I got excited about it. I was thinking, I wish we'd have five weeks. But uh, I'm just hoping that God helped you like he's helped me during this time. Now, the reason we need to move on to next week is next weekend is one of the most important weekends of our year. It's called 360 Weekend. Now, in all the three services that we have, I know that when I stand up here that most everyone here is part of New Spring Church. And we love New Spring, don't we? I mean, what God has done in us, what God is using us to do in this community is absolutely awesome. But if you're new to New Spring, could I just tell you this? We believe that God has work for New Spring to do all around the world. We don't believe that God is limiting us just to this corner. We believe that God wants to do something dramatically awesome through New Spring Church in every part of the globe. So I'm going to be doing something next weekend that I don't normally do. I'm actually bringing two different messages. One message will be brought on Saturday night, and the other message will be brought on both services on Sunday. So if you're normally a Sunday attender, I'd like to encourage you and invite you to be part of Saturday night too because I'm bringing two different messages. I'm going to talk about what New Spring is already doing to change the world. And next Sunday morning, I'm going to be laying out some bold initiatives. I can't wait for you to hear what God is leading New Spring Church to do all around the world. And then I'm going to give you a chance to have a part in that. We're going to have an awesome time. Next weekend is New Spring 360 weekend. I'm going to be blogging about it. So if you want to sign on to markandmaryalice.com, I'm going to be talking about this next weekend several times during this week. And so, uh, again, I just want to thank you for being here and get you ready for next weekend because it's going to be awesome.